We brought you damn good beer and now we're delivering to you damn good beef. Hassle Cattle Company is the absolute best source for farm to table Wagyu beef in the country. Uh, Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth generation cattle farm out of Texas and they ship all over the beautiful USA and straight to your door. They call their beef the blue collar Wagyu. Why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank without any fillers, and two jerky flavors. Uh, their hamburger one Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. And not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. They take their, or they ship their beef all over the country. They take it to competitions all over the country and they breed their bulls, um, their registered bulls with Angus cows that give you the very high prime product that is grown with zero antibiotics and hormones. So head to hasslecattlecompany.com. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L cattlecompany.com. Use the promo code DMVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DMVR10 for 10% off any orders over $200 and you receive free shipping. Check them out. We promise you won't be disappointed. That's a classic. Treat yourself to some hassle cattle just like you treat yourself to some draft pod. Double trouble draft pod this week. Always fun. Uh, so coming to you early with some defensive prospects finally. And then uh, uh, later in the week, we'll have another position breakdown. These have been fun to do. I'm Andre Simone. This is the DMVR Draft Podcast. Not sure I said that. We are presented by DraftKings. Uh, nothing but amazing deals there. In fact, I need to double check that no props have changed as far as the draft props on DraftKings. That's a lot of draft in one sentence for one draft pod. I, as always, am joined by Henry Chisholm, Justin Michael, and Jake Schwanitz. Fellows, how are you feeling today? Always good to talk draft, right? I'm in great shape. You don't look like you're in great shape, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm of great mental positioning or something. I I feel good. Henry is on one. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, no need to say more. We are excited, though, because there is some fresh content, not just from us. We have some pro days that might finally come with some real information. I sure tell you, uh, with this linebacker class, we're about to get into some measurements or uh, additional data. Sure would have been nice. Uh, so I am jonesing for some pro days around the corner. And then, of course, we've had some fun uh, you know, stuff out there in the draft sphere. And that's what we do in segment one. We kind of update you on news, murmurs, ranking stuff that stood out to us in the draft world from the past week. 
Where would you guys like to start? We've got uh, some interesting Bleacher Report rankings from Brandon Thorne and that new team since Matt Miller's switched over. Uh, we were asked about Chris Sims draft quarterback rankings, which are quite out there. And then we have a new mock by Todd McShay where he projects the Broncos to trade down a classic in this draft season. It is about the lamest thing out there on the internet. And that's saying a lot. Um, so yeah, fellas, let's talk to you more. What has your interest peaked more? I will start actually, since I'm just giving out, uh, I'm doing a bad job hosting by just constantly handing out <laughs> general questions to the three of you and no one knowing who to start first thing that stood out most to me were those bleacher report rankings that I sent you guys where they had the one Landon Dickerson center guard, Alabama, Florida state beast gets hurt in the playoffs um, in their top 10. So that stood out to me. If he was healthy, I could almost see it in a class like this, but for, uh, I don't know, seems like a bit limited upside for a top 10 player. What else stood out to you guys though, in uh, this batch of news cycle? I think that you put that really, really well with Landon Dickerson. If he was healthy, then it would almost make mm -hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. That yep. basically sums it up. Like, I get it. Like, Landon Dickerson, he's good. I think oh, yeah. he's... He's great. Yeah, he, he could be the best interior offensive lineman. I'm not sure he's a top 10 pick. You, you love all the off-field stuff. You love the attitude. It seems like all the guys love him. Uh, I do wonder if maybe sometimes that stuff gets a little bit overvalued. Here's the thing. I, I The injury history... You know, that's all relevant, especially given the timing of his injury when it took place in the season. You know, you, you worry about that. How is he going to be ready for camp? All of that stuff. I saw somebody tweet the other day, and I, I don't have it pulled up, so I can't give them credit, and I apologize, but I'm not trying to take credit for this take. But it was that Dickerson plays center better than any other offensive lineman plays their respective position in this draft class. And I think that's accurate. Now, do you value a center enough to rank him that high? That's mm -hmm. tough to say, but in my opinion, assuming that he's healthy, you're essentially getting a can't miss prospect. That is a point to be made. And it's, um, it, to go cross sports drafts on you. This is something we'll see in the MLB draft a lot. Um, where, you know, there might be some really high end, high upside prep shortstop or prep, uh starting pitcher who like the 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 upside is tremendous but sometimes farm systems and teams in those kind of drafts prefer to go with a much safer player like a college catcher who's at a premium position at worst he'll start 60 games a year for you will he be a, an above average starter there's a good chance maybe not but you're going really safe with a top 10 pick that's almost what you would be doing by selecting um Landon Dickerson. I also, I did like in those rankings on Bleacher Report that Ellerson Smith was 94th. Um, his upside, that Northern Iowa um, edge really has me intrigued. What about the McShay mock? Anything there? This Broncos trade down, they still end up with Caleb Farley, but they're passing on a quarterback again. Um, and yeah, aside from that, Kyle Pitts, goes is the top target taken, which I felt kind of vindicated since that was one of my takes when we talked wide receivers last week. Um, but on that, 
anything that stood out or should we move on to these Chris Sims quarterback rankings? Well, it would be history if quarterbacks went one, two, three, four, as mm-hmm. McShay has it projected. That's never happened before. Yep. That doesn't seem very likely to me. Even as much as we love this quarterback class and a lot of these teams need a QB, I don't know, just one, two, three, four. That seems that seems too predictable. You know what I mean? Like if this was a Madden draft or something, I could totally see it. I don't know. Some something weird's gonna happen and, and shake that up. At the same time, though, if, if there were a year for it to happen, I do think it'd be this year. Maybe yeah. not necessarily because this is the best, like, top four quarterbacks of all time. Um, they're, like, four good quarterbacks, four top 20 quarterbacks. That I think that people could generally agree that that's true. Um, my thing is, because of just where most of the NFL is in terms of quarterbacks right now, teams are desperate. You know, there aren't a lot of good veterans that you can just bring in to to be a backup, to, to be your veteran who competes with your young quarterback. I think that there are going to be teams that are going to feel pretty stuck and, and feel like they have to make a move. Um, and I think that that is part of what's at play uh, with the four quarterbacks going the first four picks. It'd be crazy for sure to see that. Um, Jake, if I could go back to, yep. yeah, if I go back to Brandon Thorne's rankings, just because, I mean, he's excellent when it comes to the offensive line, and that's mm-hmm. just what I paid attention to the most. Um, in his rankings, you know, we talked about Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater, one, two, but he's got Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State way up there also. So another guy kind of entering the conversation, not just in terms of, you know, top five tackle, but maybe best tackle in the class, in his eyes at least. I'm seeing a ton of love for the right tackle out of Oklahoma state. Um, and yeah, that's one I'm excited to go back and rewatch, not just when we're doing our offensive tackle, but our edge uh, episode too, because I remember some pretty contentious um, battles with uh, Joseph Osai and Ronnie Perkins this year. So um, yeah, that stood out to me as well. He, his momentum is picking up big time. Um, should we get into these Sims rankings where he has uh, Zach? Cool. Yeah. What do you guys think of that trade? Like the Broncos trading down from nine to 12. Uh, I, I personally really love it. Uh, McShay writes, um, the Broncos could add something along the lines of an extra second rounder, number 43, perhaps a 2022 first or second rounder. In addition to number 12 to me, like it depends on how the board falls, of course, but there really aren't many guys who I feel like are are worth more than that second round pick versus moving down three spots. Especially if you can add that, that first rounder next year, I, I don't feel as great about it. You know, if you're picking up two seconds or, I mean, even so to, to only drop three spots, I mean, you're picking up some serious draft capital. You, you know, basically get a guy that you could take at nine anyways. So there's, there's not a lot of downside there. The big question is just, you're passing on, you know, QB five, obviously they have Mac Jones going there. Do you like that move? I mean, it's, it's adding competition. I don't know. I I wouldn't take Mac over a cornerback at this point. Hmm. So real quick, they traded back to 12, right? Who did the Niners take then? Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. Okay. And in between the Broncos and, and Niners pick, Patrick Sertain, Jalen Waddle go off the board and Caleb Farley falls into their lap with both Rashawn Slater and Quiddy Pay still around, not to mention Micah Parsons. So it, and that's kind of the thinking in McShay's draft as the Broncos need additional defensive depth. 
in this mock, no defensive players had even gone in the top eight picks. So essentially the board was all theirs for the taking if they want to go defense or even one of the top offensive linemen because like Slater to still be around. You're not seeing that in a ton of mocks. Um, Huh. It'd be interesting. I mean, it all comes down to your feelings about Mac Jones. And um, when you do those moves, when you're trading out of spots where teams are trading in to draft quarterbacks, uh, you know, then you kind of are on the hook for trading out of that pick. And we've seen that not work out for some teams. Um, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns, you can list a lot of quarterbacks they've traded out of um, and kind of missed missed on uh, Deshaun Watson being one uh, through the years before they finally got Baker. So, yeah. And then outside of that, from the McShay mock, I don't want to say chalk, but kind of, right? There's nothing too surprising here, which is kind of the theme of this draft season is we're not really getting a ton of updates. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. But um, Justin, did you have anything you wanted to add on the McShay mock? Um, or should uh, we tell not really? The- I mean, Najee Harris went running back one, which we've basically talked about for the last month. Um, plus a hundred on DraftKings. Yep. Still got that. Still can make that money. Yeah. Um, ETN, I believe did not go in the first round in this one. Mm-hmm. It's only one running back going in the first round. That wouldn't be oh, shocking either. ETN went 30th to the bills. Okay, my apologies then. So two running backs still going in the first round then. Um, Yeah, really just chalk. I mean, Tony went a little high for my taste, but you guys, Mm. you know, you guys have been pretty high on him of late. So I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And then these Chris Sims uh, quarterback rankings. He has Zach Wilson as his top quarterback ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Then Mac Jones is third. And then I think not to be lost in this discourse, he has Kellen Mond ahead of Justin Fields and Trey Lance. And in an impartial world where you're just dropped into draft season, Mond Lance could almost be somewhat interesting of a conversation. Uh, But I think Wilson is uh, as the top quarterback is where we should start. And basically Sims's argument from what I've heard, and I think he's going to be expanding on this more with a podcast that's supposed to drop soon, is that Wilson is essentially this drafts Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, that he can do the stuff above the X's and O's um, just with a natural disposition that maybe the other quarterbacks don't have. Which... I don't disagree with that argument. I do maybe disagree with the premise that that's we should put all our eggs in that one basket in quarterback evaluations now, because that's what worked out with Mahomes, who I think is an all time outlier. Um, But whatever, you guys start, you guys go because uh, there's, there's ton to talk about. Well, you mentioned Mond at four, man. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a whole other discussion real quick about Wilson though. I mean, like you said, I mean, you're kind of you're not only just comparing him to an extreme outlier, you're comparing him to the best quarterback in the league, which is kind of crazy. I mean, he is still sort of a one year wonder, too, just when from a statistical standpoint. I mean, he was a I think a three year player, but, you know, 
it was not near the heights that we saw this year, the past couple of years. So you are taking a gamble in that regard. And I get it with the arm and the talent and all that. It's just, how can you not watch Trevor Lawrence from the past three years and think that he's just different than the rest of these guys? I mean, honestly, I get it with the arm with Wilson, but Trevor Lawrence makes some throws that literally no one else can make in this class. Yeah. A few NFL players can, in fact. I, I think that there's obviously something to what Chris Sims is saying. Definitely. Um, and for him to, to turn on the tape, watch Zach Wilson and say, that's the guy that you want on your team because that's the type of arm that you don't see all that often. It's, it's whatever he says every few years or whatever. And there's definitely something to that, but I kind of side with Dre where, you know what? Yes, that is very important. And, and playing quarterback is about throwing the football, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And, and you can get into things like the processing and, and that sort of stuff. But there's also, like Jake was saying, what has actually happened? Like, like Trevor Lawrence has gone out there and won football games at the highest levels of college football for three straight years. And that shouldn't just be thrown away because Zach Wilson can flick the ball 70 yard sidearm while he's like running away from the line of scrimmage. So I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't agree with it, of course, but it is kind of fun to see somebody say, I, I I want somebody with an arm like that. That's the difference between a great quarterback and and the rest of the league. So I'm going to take my chance. I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's, you can get into a dangerous area of scouting and evaluation when you start to overvalue what I would describe as almost bonus traits. Uh, And that's what we're talking about here with Zach Wilson. And like, if you watch the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's operating with zero bonus traits. He's just making it work with what he's got face value and he's making it happen. Um, and so, and it's funny that that bonus trait carries so much weight for the Zach Wilson. But then later on in the rankings, I kind of see what I I see from a lot of former players, especially at the quarterback position, which I think is maybe a lack of valuing that high end upside. Um, which when you do this long enough, you you get burned by those high end upside guys long. Uh, often enough to to start to know you need to hedge your bets um because if not you you can't justify mac jones ahead of guys like justin fields or trey lance um or kellamond i mean that's just it's uh so it's just valuing high-end traits way less than you do just a a higher ceiling and kind of baseline iq which you don't see from coaches who over maybe overvalue those high-end traits because they believe so much in their ability to coach those up and fill in those other gaps. Um, so anyways, that's kind of what I'm seeing here. But I mean, that's kind of a scorching hot take on those rankings by Sims, who I must say... It's a bit say, of I've... a cheap shot, but uh, did, can, can Chris Sims evaluate his own quarterback play? <laughs> Chris I, as an evaluator, though, is right up there with anybody. He's good. It. He honestly, he like, honestly isn't results, bad. But and I do think it's important, like, to run through what he said. Like last year's class, he had Joe Burrow one, Justin Herbert two, Jordan Love, and then Tua. Pretty solid. 
2019, Murray first, and then after that, Locke, Haskins, Finley, Stidham, Jones, Thorson, Greer. I guess Jones has been better than that. Um, but still, not bad. The year before, Lamar Jackson won, Josh Allen, and then Baker, Darnold, Rosen. That's not what people were saying. That's like spot on almost. And, and yeah, and, and the, the fact that he has a good track record is why I think it's worth running through these. And why I'm just being that... a dick, honestly. I'm just, yeah, I'm just being a dick. <laughs> I, and yeah. frankly, I don't think he's all that great. Um, right. Yeah. I, well, I don't I like mean, the NBC guys in general, but I, with Florio and... Just going back, though, I mean, you look at the 2019 class. It was a very weak class overall. Kyler Murray was easily number one. Yeah. And then, I mean, just having Drew Locke, too, I mean, I don't want to give him too much credit, but it's, I mean, he has been the second best quarterback, I guess, from that class, but it yeah. was just a weak class overall. Sure. You could rank them however you want. Same with last year. I mean, he really had them. I mean, that was the consensus top four, Burrow, Herbert, Love, and Tua. I mean, it's just a matter of, I guess, what order. And I just, well, I don't want to get too was excited. a lot higher for most. Yeah. True. He was at two for a lot of people, two for me. Yeah. And then yeah. the, the year I really give him credit for, though, is 18. It's just with Lam, uh, Lamar and Josh Allen, just because those two guys still, I think, are disrespected too much when it comes to talking about best players at the position in the NFL. And you, to go back to that class in 2018, though, how you look at the tools of a guy like Lamar and Josh Allen and then put guys like Kellen Mond and Mac Jones over Trey Lance and Justin Fields when – from a tool standpoint, you're kind of talking same ballpark. I just don't get. Yeah. And we can jump back into, I mean, Chris Sims has said why he did all this, like Kellen Mond in particular. And he says the quote is, why is nobody talking about this guy? He lost one game in the sec. He threw 19 touchdowns, three interceptions that merits more talk and hype. Um, and, uh, but Let's just move on to the part I found most interesting. Uh, he said that the only negative is I wish he'd play a little bit more backyard football. He's a really good athlete, but I think he's trying mm -hmm. to do the right thing in the Jimbo Fisher system and go through the reads. And he's a great decision maker. He can go one, two, three uh, seamlessly. He makes very few mistakes when people are open. He doesn't compound those mistakes. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not blown away by Jimbo Fisher's offense. It's a little predictable. Defenses are all over their concepts and he still throws strikes in there. See, like, that's the type of conversation that we haven't really had yet. But, I mean, I just I said he's overvaluing baseline IQ and decision-making over high-end traits. That's exactly what I said. That's, I mean, so we have had that conversation. But we yeah, nine, a 19-3 and three touchdown to interception, a big whoop. Did you Before. watch him this year? Of course he had a 19-3 and three touchdown to interception. He was so boring. Yeah, no kidding. You want to see him play more backyard football, anything. I'd like to see him have a pulse. I'd like to see him have any trait that gets me excited at the NFL level. So, so you don't think yeah. there's anything? Yeah, blame Jimbo Fisher's offense. As much of a Jimbo Fisher problem as it is a Kellamon problem. You think that Kellamon just can't do that, not that Jimbo Fisher wasn't letting him. Yes. Here's the thing, too. Okay. Mon's been a player for four years. And yes. when Jimbo came in, there was a noticeable difference in – his mechanics and just how he was playing position from year one to year two. So we can criticize Jimbo Fisher and the offense all we want, but he's the prospect he is now because Jimbo Fisher came to Texas A&M and coached up Kellen Mond. Right. Watch some older tape. He was more above the X's and O's and he was way streakier. They had to rein him in, have him play this conservative, ugly football. If that's your, if that's how he succeeded in college and that's your plan to how he's going to succeed in the NFL, 
you've got yourself barely a high end backup. But see, that's the thing. And, and that's where I think that's where I think Chris Sims comes in and says, this isn't what you do with him. You don't put him in this Jimbo Fisher system. And sure, like it didn't work out before, but having gone through that, gone through like the the read, you stay in the pocket, you don't go off script, any of that. Maybe spending a year or two doing that means that now he can incorporate that and can go off script sometimes and, and do this when he's supposed to. Like, I, I don't think that just because we saw him have success as a as more of the pocket guy means that that's how he's going to be used or, or best used. Totally fair. So, right, totally fair until we then apply that same reasoning to Justin Fields and Trey Lance where the logic is reversed. They have those high-end traits. All we need to teach them is that basic IQ, baseline understanding, going through your basic one, two, three reads. And if they can do that, watch out because the sky's the limit. Yep, exactly. And, and, and that's and how most NFL coaches that, would yeah. approach it. What I read into this, because, I mean, again, if Sims, what he says about fields is that, uh, you know, I know people talk about the Clemson game. I would challenge people to go back and watch it. I know there are some good throws, but there are a handful of throws in that game where I would expect a high school quarterback to hit them 10 out of 10. I believe he's a one read thrower. The first read is not wide open. He's going to run or panic and he can do some bad things when he does that. I mean, again, that's the stuff that we've been saying, but I do think that just saying, well, because he has those tools means that he can turn into something else. Like it's all about those percentages too. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not, and, and, I don't know. I don't agree with Mond being in front of Justin Fields. Yeah. But I do like hearing an argument from somebody who knows the position um, because I, it, it makes you think differently. Sure. And uh, I wonder what his pro Herbert argument over Tua was because yeah. Herbert, as we've said, very similar profile to Fields. Slow processor, but you see all the natural tools are there. I mean, they just jump off the page. Herbert's tape was way rougher, though, I thought, man. Mm-hmm. He was so inaccurate at times. It just, yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier in the year when we talked about these guys, Herbert and Josh Allen, and just kind of projecting these, you know, big trait guys and how they're going to fit in the NFL, which is just kind of my issue with this list is how is Trey Lance so low then? I mean, we're talking about a young kid that's mm-hmm. really a moldable piece of clay that has shown like some glimpses of being able to run a quote unquote NFL type system at North Dakota, but he has him at six when we've, I, there's no way we've seen this guy's best football yet. Right. Eating between the lines. He clearly values competition faced here. Like he's got Mac Jones in his top three. He's got Kellen Mond in his top five. He values what these guys did against top level top level defenses because it was a down year for the sec across the board. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there is, there is an argument, I guess there with, they did it against much better athletes than Trey Lance ever had to face at North Dakota state. Yeah. (laughs) That's really the only reasoning I can see for why he would have them above it. But, but then why Zach Wilson won? Yeah. It's so inconsistent. It's so, so inconsistent. And I was going to say Herbert almost did the Mon thing in his final year at Oregon though. Right. Like yeah. they reined them in a little. And that's where I remember, Jake, you and I having conversations of like, man, I'm almost coming around to Herbert because he checks off a lot of those boxes and the high uh, the high end upside is there. You know, like no one was blind to it. It was just a matter of can he get confident? Can he put it together? Will he go to the right team? And I'm not sure anyone thought the Chargers with 
a street free agent starting at left tackle was the right team, but so far, so Anthony Lynn being the head coach. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, you know, strange, strange stuff happens, but yeah, no, I think he really values IQ. He values competition level. Um, And apparently the bonus trait and being able to improvise and pull a rabbit out of your hat, Zach Wilson stuff. And just to like wrap up the Trey Lance stuff, like Chris Sims said why he put him number six. He said, it's Mm -hmm. the lack of the play. Um, That's what scares me. He has a big time arm. He can fly in a lot of ways. I like his technique with how he throws the ball more than I like Justin Fields, but the offense was a one read offense and it's a lack of throws, lack of playing time. That scares me. If you draft him, you're going to have to play a certain way early in his career to let that come along a little too raw. Yeah. But there's a lot of one. There's a lot of one read quarterbacks coming out from college to the NFL. Exactly. That's we go back to like, Deshaun Watson coming out. I mean, you saw what the Texans were running in 2017, a lot of full house, you know, jet motion. I mean, it was, if you want to call it gimmicky, I mean, yep. you've seen teams do this before, but because Deshaun Watson was just so damn talented, he just elevated himself into this team. Totally. Yeah. And, or and- Lamar Jackson. I mean, Baker, <laughs> Baker and Cleveland are running some gimmicky stuff, you know, like he's, yeah. they're really getting them out the pocket 24 seven. And that's how he's got to make his place without like putting faces on these guys. Like how, what do you think of this? Like the idea that like, it, if somebody would make you run sort of a gimmicky offense for a year or two to like ease them in versus a guy who is more pro ready and can run just a standard NFL offense quicker, like does the, the fact that you're going to have to take a year or two and kind of ramp up devalue a prospect that much. So the ramp question. up prospect is the guy who can be fit into a more conventional offense. No, he's, he's the guy who, you know, he's, a, he's the, a runner out of college. And so you got to call more right. for that. Cause stuff. history is showing that the gimmicky guy is going to be the one who has early success. It's sustaining success. That has proven to be the problem. And it's why like Lamar Jackson is a massive litmus test Mm -hmm. right now Um, because we've seen guys have early success. And then for whatever reason, if you can't broaden your skill set, broaden your game, uh, people will figure you out. And then, uh, you know, I mean, anyone could get figured out. (sighs) Yeah, I it's a fun philosophical question, but the answer is uh, that decision has to made in a va- be made in a vacuum based on that specific prospect and those specific traits and even your offense and where you are as a franchise in a win now mode, you know, like Lamar Jackson doesn't work for everyone in that Lamar Jackson draft. He works for the Ravens who were like an eight and eight team with Joe Flacco and with an identity change on offense, all of a sudden become a juggernaut. Lamar Jackson isn't Lamar Jackson if he goes to the Jets. Great coaches scheme for great players. Yeah. Bad that, coaches that try too. and force players into their systems. Yeah, that too. So, anyways, I mean, credit to Sims for sparking a, a very interesting uh, discussion there. Let's get into these linebackers. But before we start that, Henry, a quick shout out to anyone today? Yes. Um, All right. Oh, wow. We've got, oh, this is going to be a bit of a long break. Uh, we get to start by telling everybody about the awesome content at thednvr.com. If you are not a member yet, you should definitely consider it because there's so many awesome things uh, going on at DMVR. Uh, like I said, you can get on the website, you can read everything that we've written, um, but 
you can also get on the Discord, which is the DMVR lounge where all of the DMVR subscribers can hang out and chat about the Broncos, the Nuggets, uh, the draft. There's a specific draft channel, um, college sports. Uh, there's a skiing channel. There's a food channel, a TV channel. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of good people and a great way to interact with the community. And again, you can only get in if you're a member. Um, when you sign up, you'll get a free DMVR t-shirt. Uh, you can get weekly member deals uh, from the DMVR locker. They'll get sent right to your inbox. Um, and my favorite part is that when you go to the DMVR bar, you actually get a massive beer for the same price that non-members get just a normal beer that you order, order at a bar. It's a great deal. And we have a fun new perk for the next 300 members. If you sign up uh, to become an annual DMVR member, not only do you receive the free t-shirt of your choice from the DMVR locker, but you will also get a recover holistic stick from holistic wellness. And what Ooh. is that you ask? It's all about the CBD. Uh, the stick that we send you packs 10 milligrams of CBD. Uh, and this one is focused on recovery. All you do, pop the top of the stick, pour it in a drink, stir, consume. They're amazing. So easy to use. No mess. Make sure you check those out. And you can get some for free by signing up uh, to become a member at DMVR. Treat yourself. Booyah. Uh, yeah, let's get into these linebacker. Oh, you have more, Henry. You have more. Oh, we have plenty more on the way. Oh, lay it on me, baby. All right. Um, well, next up, gotta gotta say a quick word about our good friends over at DraftKings. We have something cool lined up this week. Oh, and yeah. I found the link. It's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. We're just coming up with oh no, it is. Conference tourneys are coming up. Are the read was updated. Let's go. <laughs> oh. They're preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet four dollars on an underdog, win two hundred and fifty-six dollars. That's a great deal. It's that simple. That uh that's a four dollar bet on an underdog in select college basketball games. And if they win, you collect $256. The bank is open. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning. There's no better way to put your college basketball to or knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. There's a whole bunch more basketball coming on the way. This week is only the start. So make sure that you download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR when you sign up to turn $4 into $256. If the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset, that's code DMVR to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Out here spitting with that read. That was uh, a mouthful. Now it's uh, time to remind the people that uh, St. Patty's Day is for pubs, not pubes. Manscaped is Whoa. the global leader for below-the-waist <laughs> grooming, and they sponsored this show to ensure you have the best tools for your ball-trimming experience. Damn uh, if you plan on getting lucky this St. Patty's Day, first of all, congrats. You're one of few. Congrats you on the sex. Well, use the code DMVR at manscaped.com for 20% off and free international shipping. Uh, so many awesome products. We love the Perfect Package 3.0. It comes with the Lawnmower 3.0, which uh, will shave anything that you want it to shave. Um, wow. it, I'm pretty sure that I can guarantee that. Um, there's Holy like a, a light on it. It's a uh, waterproof. 
Uh, it has like a dozen other cool features too. So make sure you check that out. The crop preserver. Yeah. Uh, There's yeah. some new things that come in white form. So instead wow. of like squeezing out of the bottle, all you got to do is just pull a wipe out and then just wipe whatever you need to wipe with whatever's on the wipe. Uh, it's just yeah. super cool stuff. So get to manscaped.com. Use the code uh, DNVR for 20% off and free international shipping. And also, remember, use that wipe to wipe away what you can wipe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Indeed. Paid some bills. Okay, good. Well done. <laughs> good. Well done. I can talk about linebackers now. Um, God help us, because I'm not even sure three of my top four linebackers are even linebackers, but that's a conversation we must have. Uh, what position even are Micah Parsons, J.O.K., better known as Jeremiah Wusa Koroma, uh, the stud from Notre Dame, or even Zaven Collins out of Tulsa, three of the top most hyped uh, linebackers in this class. But again, are they conventional off-ball linebackers? And as it pertains to the Broncos, can they fit as interior backers in that 3-4 defense as an upgrade on a Josie Jewell? Um, so let's start with how you guys rank them. Um, and a simple yes-no on if all three of those guys are linebackers. So Henry, let's start with your top three linebackers. And all I need is the top three ranked and a yes or a no on if each one is a linebacker. How do you okay. rank them? Well, uh, and see, now that we've gotten to this moment, I'm having a tough time committing. We're going to go JOK one. Okay. Going to go JOK one. Um, is he a linebacker? Yes. No. <sighs> Uh, it sucks that he has not gone to his pro day yet because mm -hmm. I think there's a legitimate chance that he was like 202 pounds when we last saw him play. Mm -hmm. um, if, if the numbers are accurate and he's actually playing at like 220, yeah, you justify it. And I'm going to believe this man or believe he's going to put some weight on and maybe doubt the top end speed to be a safety just a tiny bit and call him a linebacker. Okay. Number two, Micah Parsons. Okay. I'm also going to call him a linebacker because I honestly don't know what a linebacker is. Um, and to explain that, we're <laughs> nice. going to go to number three, Nick Bolton. And Nick Bolton, as yeah. I mentioned before the show, a little bit undersized. Yes. But is he really, though, because he's like six foot and 230 pounds, which is what a linebacker has been for like the history of linebackers until <laughs> like we've started to like, again, it's all about the length and all that kind of stuff. And the position is changing so much that I think that guys like JOK and Parsons eventually are going to define it. Are we at the point where we can say that they're linebackers now? Uh, sure. I don't know. I got JOK Parsons Bolton. And if I may, where does Xavier Collins fall on this list? And is it a yes or a no on Xavier? It's a, it's a yes. And he is number four, but I mean, we'll dig into all these guys. Yeah. I have yeah. my doubts about all of them. I don't yes. know he's fast enough to cover Fair at enough. this point he's 260 pounds yeah which yeah. is very good if it works. Yeah. but if it doesn't yeah. work boy you're gonna feel silly for drafting a guy who's 260 pounds to play in the modern nfl linebacker i, I i'm saying yes he's a linebacker okay beautiful um jake let's go with you your top three linebackers please and on those three relevant names a yes or a no on if they are in fact a linebacker so i've got it uh, Jeremiah Wasukoma at one, 
mm-hmm. Parsons two, and then I've mm-hmm. also got Nick Bolton at three. Nice. And then I actually have Zayvon Collins on at five. We'll get into the whole reasoning. Is JOK a linebacker? At the end of the day, I think <laughs> no. It's a loaded question, too. It's no. such a loaded question. Okay. Uh, um, real quick, I think he's, I mean, we, you talk about Jeremy Chin with him. I think something like mm-hmm. that, or like a Jamal Adams role is basically where he's going to fit in. Yeah. Uh, Micah Parsons. I'm more inclined to say yes with him than I am mm-hmm. with Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he is, if he's not off ball, he's playing edge, which I guess yep. technically is a linebacker. So sure. I'm going to say yes. Zavin Collins, yes, I think he's a linebacker. Um, I just, the concerns with him are, again, what Hank said about the size, he is yeah. pretty big. Yeah, but he makes plays, so I'm gonna say yes. <sighs> okay, Justin, I love this. I've got Parsons one, um, mm-hmm. because I think he actually is a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Two, JOK, who I'm in love with, I love everything about him. Um, I think I'd rather have JOK on my team than Parsons, mm. just from a versatility perspective. He can play that box safety again, you know, you're worried about the undersize, but. Yeah. I, I'm just not sure he's a tr- true linebacker. So I yeah. guess I'll say no for him. Mm-hmm. Um, three was really hard for me. I went back and forth between a lot of guys. I, I love Collins. I'm a, I'm a G5 guy. I watched a lot yep. of Tulsa. Again, mm-hmm. he's a dude that just made plays. I went with Dylan Moses at three, which is a lot higher mm-hmm. than a lot of people have him. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's, I, I love his vision, his instinct. I think he has great athleticism. I know there's a lot of questions about what he does in pass coverage and, and he's yeah. got to be more consistent there, but I just, uh, I just love what I saw and I love the vers- versatility. He played all three linebacker positions at Alabama over the course of his career. I think you can do a lot of different things with him, And I'm not sure you can say that about some of these other guys like Bolton, who I think is probably a true Mike and, and probably an upgrade from Josie jewel, but that's who I have at four. I have Collins at five and Collins. Yes or no on linebacker. Yes, a linebacker, but uh, again, I, I you worry about his speed against NFL guys. Mm-hmm. He did make plays in pass coverage at Tulsa, but again, you know, I, I don't see him covering NFL tight ends very successfully. I'd, I'd be very nervous to take him early. Oof, man. Okay, so I have him ranked Parsons, JOK, Jamin Davis, Zavin Collins, um, one, two, three, four. Parsons, I'm going to say yes. I think his best path to success is as a do-it-all linebacker where you harness that athleticism, the pass rushing ability, the, uh, you know, the, the ability to defend the run and then kind of even it out um, and make him into a complete three-down linebacker. Of course, nice advantage that as a fallback plan on third down. If he can't impact the game in coverage, he certainly can as a pass rusher. Love that about him. JOK. Honestly, I, I'm not going to answer the question because I think it's basically a 50, 50 proposition. He's, he's, he's a will linebacker in some formations and situations, and he's a box safety uh, slash 
adapted nickel, big nickel defender, right? Closer to the I'm line. I'm glad you scrimmage. brought that up because I wanted to ask about that. Like yeah. we all, the box safety, I think he can thrive in that role. Yes. I think he could be pretty successful in nickel. And we we saw it at times where yep. he was, you know, dropping back and making reads in zone. And, and he's we'll just an intriguing that. prospect. I don't know what the fuck he is, but I love him. I know that's damn it all. It's it's just like Sims overreacting to Mahomes Rogers. I'll I'll freely admit Isaiah Simmons has me gun shy. I think he's gonna have everyone gun shy because the dude could play five different positions on your defense, but he couldn't find the field on Vance Joseph's D, which the Cardinals played very good defensively this year. Um, so just like Parsons best path to success is as an off ball linebacker who can do a bit of everything and needs to be filled out. JOK's best path to success probably has the strong side, uh, strong safety that we just talked about, Justin. So I'm going to say no, though really we're splitting hairs because it's basically a 50-50 proposition. Xavier Collins, I'm going to say no. Technically, yes, he's an outside linebacker, probably in all fronts. Um, his best, best path to success to me is as a 3-4 edge um, where his pound-the-table trait is his pass rush potential at that size. And then as an edge in a three, four, if you can hone that ability, Ooh, I like everything else all of a sudden, right? Cause he's tech. He's technically sound. He doesn't overrun anything. Maybe the motor's not phenomenal, but he's a good athlete for his size moves well in coverage. You feel really good about everything else. If we can harness those password skills and turn him into like an eight sack a season guy. His um, instincts are tremendous too. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch mm-hmm. him, he makes up for not having that top end speed or, you know, great uh, burst right off the bat because you can just see him reading the field. He's reacting before anybody else is. And that jumps out to me about him. He's an intelligent player. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he's a guy I trust from day one, Justin. I like what you say. He, he's, I would like to see more flash plays, but the, the other side of that coin is I don't see a lot of like, Oh man, what was he doing there? He really whiffed on that tackle, really overran that and opened up a huge lane. Like he's where he needs to be like 95% of the time. So I like that about Zavian. Though again, he doesn't get me super excited. Um, The thing with Zavian though is just looking at his, or the scheme he was in defensively, just in that, that three, three stack. I mean, I don't, that's not his ideal role, obviously, because Mm -hmm. no one plays the stack in the NFL. So that's what was hard about his evaluation to me was that he played his position at a fine level because he, that's just what he was asked to do. And because he was bigger than a lot of guys and just knew the game. Um, So that's what's the hardest part about his projection, I guess, is we haven't really seen him yet in an NFL role at this point. So you're kind of really just going off the flash plays, the Mm -hmm. instincts and just projecting from that point. And And does it translate? Yeah, I will say about Xavier, he's a AJ and I, when we first started this podcast, had an expression YouTube responsibly on some dudes. He's not maybe necessarily YouTube responsibly, which really just means be weary of the highlights if you're just watching the highlights because they're not telling the full story. He's a be weary of the on paper evaluation. Because you look at the size, you look at the production, you look at some of the flashes, you're going to fall in love. But then when you watch like 
50 snaps in one game. Ugh. Uh, you know, there's like four that get you really excited. If that. Um, so like yeah. Anti Dylan Moses for me. Like Moses doesn't <laughs> flash. He doesn't have those highlight plays that a lot of these top guys have. But when you watch him for 50 snaps, he's not going to be out of position. He's not going to get dominated off the block very often. Mm-hmm. He's consistently making reads. He did get better in pass coverage as it went on. He's still not great, but he got better. He's great in the open field at tackling. Like, I don't know. I'm maybe maybe it's my Bama blinders coming in too hard on him because I've just fallen in love with him over the last couple of years. But I think we're really undervaluing him. Andre, on the YouTube responsibly part, I like that just because I felt like I kind of actually had the opposite experience watching mm-hmm. Zayden Collins. I felt like I was the first few games I watched, I was waiting for something to happen. So I kept on trying to dig deeper. And as I was digging, I was actually sort of finding what I was looking mm-hmm. for. You know, the the play, the game changing plays, uh, the ability to make plays on the ball, just forcing fumbles, causing turnovers. So that was the thing that kind of got me just because again, going back to that defense, you watch them against like Oklahoma state and he's just, he's so far away from the ball off the snap. Sometimes yeah. it's just like this plays, this doesn't tell me anything. Right. Cause sometimes he's almost in that Justin Sternot role, like, like 15, 15 yards off ball, like kind of covering out the slot and uh, kind of that like off ball zone coverage, you know, in, in the slot though, specific, it, it's really, um, so then we had a question from the count asking if Collins is a Fanjo type linebacker. And I think what we're saying is at least as an off ball backer to take over as a potential upgrade for Josie jewel. I think we can all agree. That's a no. I think so. Yeah. Just, I mean, talking about those guys like Josie jewel, like there's a ton of them in this class, right. That you can just, <laughs> plug yes. in and if you needed someone to you know kind of play will maybe fill in at mike and just trust them to do their job i mean mm-hmm. you can worry about them athletically and if they're going to match up well but you can trust them that they're going to fit the right gap you know they're going to shoot the gaps when they need to they're going to make plays on the run game but you just kind of worry about the traits and the long-term yeah. projection whereas zaven collins actually has that so it's i know you know, it's it's very interesting yeah, I, think, I mean, I don't see Zayvon Collins as like a big target for the Broncos, mm-hmm. especially compared to a lot of these guys. I do think he would be an upgrade over Josie, maybe not day one, but by the end of the season, I think you're saying, yeah, we're, we're better with him on the field than with Josie on the field. I also think that's true of like six other guys, though. And so, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, like Josie Jewell, a, a guy who can tackle and not make a whole lot of mistakes, dime a dozen. You, you can find that if you want it. Zaven Collins, I'm not sure he provides enough on top of what Josie already does to make him the type of upgrade I'd look for. Well said. The way I'd put it for Broncos fans is the Zaven Collins plan is almost a rich man's Justin Hollins plan in this defense. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, we're he's not plug and play for Josie Jewell. He's going to take that role. No, he's more like, well, he can play some inside, but he might even be the heir apparent to Von Miller. You know, like he's not going to fit one box. He's got you intrigued that he could fit a couple, but we're not quite sure what path he'll take. And and if they're going to go after him, honestly, my perfect world might be one where they say, you know what? 
we're replacing both of these starting inside linebackers and Collins might play outside linebacker. I, I like him better in the AJ role. Like I, if, if you're going to play him at inside linebacker, yes, exactly. There with AJ or Joseph. yes, it's just precisely. If yep. you want to throw uh, one of these other guys, a Justin Sernod pans out and you compare him with him, then yeah, that could work really well. Given the current situation though, I just don't see you, you'd have to move another piece for it to work. I think. Exactly. Um, before taking our final break and getting into the second half, we we had three different third linebacker options, uh, two Nick Boltons, one Dylan Moses, and I had Jamin Davis. Uh, Justin's found a good way to, to sprinkle in his cases for Dylan Moses, which I want to get into. Um, Jake Henry rapidly kind of your case for Bolton. Hank, you kind of gave yours when you broke down your top three. Jake, what has you intrigued about the Mizzou uh, inside linebacker? His instincts, I thought, were the best pure instincts I saw from a backer. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, you know, Missouri as a whole defensively isn't too impressive. I actually came away pretty impressed with one of their safeties, too, after watching the film. But just his, you talk about, you know, athletically and movement wise, I felt like he was just the best natural off ball guy that I saw. Um, so that's why I had him that far. I didn't mention my number four guy yet. And that was Monty Rice. Just mm-hmm. another guy that really impressed me with his instincts and just probably the best true Mike I saw too. Yeah. Um, just, I love these Georgia kids that defensively are just so good. I, I have Bolton Rice neck and neck. Um, my only concerns are the upside, especially in coverage. Uh, the How can you impact the game on third down? I mean, that's where games are won and lost, especially in the mo- modern NFL. Um, I will say about Mountie Rice, though, he's the only guy I really saw kind of running the middle of the field. You know, he was running up the scene playing Tampa, too. So if you're looking for that, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of sneaky like Monty as well. Um any concerns about his size? Yeah. I mean, Hank brought it up earlier, yeah. obviously. You know, six foot is not small 15 years ago at linebacker, yeah. but with what they do now, it's, I don't know. He doesn't have great speed either. Like, he does have great instincts. He pursues the ball well. He's a sure tackler. I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that with some of these backs in the NFL where if they be, they're going to just going to beat him to the sideline. But well, and length length deficiency does concern me with his impact on third down because uh as a pass rusher it's going to hurt him and it's going to hurt him a bit in coverage when look afc west too like this is not just some regular job for an inside off-ball linebacker you got to cover travis kelsey darren waller hunter henry like you got to be the best of the best if if you're using a top 100 pick on someone who you can trust on Vic Fangio, one of the greatest linebacking coaches in NFL history is going to trust you to cover those three tight ends. I mean, it's unfair, man. We, we are handing out job applications to, to a job that a select like five in the world could even fill, you know? So, so let's establish that we, we already are looking for basically what cannot be found, um, but yeah, it, it, so it forces you to nitpick and I'll tell you, I don't love this class because as I think we've kind of hinted, none of them 
you feel good about. None of them check off all the boxes. None of them are for sure set and forget three down starters as inside linebackers in the NFL. You're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to find the right fit. Um, and, and that's why I'm more confident in Jamin Davis, because I think he maybe has the best combination of this group of checking all the boxes, having the most flash plays, but also having a pretty high floor. Um, he's a guy I can trust moving sideline to sideline, flying downhill. He's got decent instincts. And, and I think there's some upside. I, I see some decent mobility in range and stuff. Um, so that's why the Kentucky linebacker has me really intrigued. And I think he's a guy who might rise. Uh, I, I think measurements and uh, pro day results could really do him well. So that's why he's my third guy. Before we move on real quick, I, I like that you brought up the tight ends in the AFC West because I just want to go back to my rankings. I, you know, I talked about how much I like Dylan Moses. Everything you brought up is the reason Dylan Moses isn't going to be a Bronco. He's not strong enough in pass coverage to handle any of those guys, quite frankly. And um, I, I think pass coverage might be what they value more than anything Absolutely. in this draft because yep. We've seen it like Josie Jewell. He can, he's competent in the run game. He can make tackles. So, mm -hmm. is, you know, AJ Johnson, mm -hmm. but they just, they yeah. don't get it done and, and, and pass coverage situations. And I think that's really what they're going to try and try and fix this year. So, you know, a guy like JOK could be very intriguing for just that. Yeah. He's not, you know, yes. not necessarily a lock at Mike, but at least we can put him on a tight end and, and feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I had him at one. I thought he was the best true fit in a Fangio type system mm -hmm. for the Denver Broncos. That's if, I mean, if you want to find someone that can make an, a difference in the second level of the defense, that's the guy that you should be targeting. Yeah. And I want to keep talking about JOK when we get to the safety class. Yes. Um, shoot. We might even touch on him when we're talking cornerbacks and we're focusing more on the better nickel guys. Um, so with that top four talk, I want to um, move on because this next tier of linebackers Definitely, you find more cover backers who I think would be really nice value picks for the Broncos day two, maybe even some day three gems. Before we jump into that, though, we're going to take one final break and close this last half hour of the show um, with all that, the second half of this linebacker class, which is really wide open. So, um, Hank, take us away. All right. Um... You probably know by now that DNVR is a huge supporter of CBD. And as a consumer, you must find the product that works best for you. Green Roads hooked us up with some incredible products, and we want to share our experiences with you. Green Roads is one of the premier CBD companies in the United States. Um, they have over 30,000 five-star reviews. 30,000, that's a lot. Uh, and you can get, uh, you can use code DMVR20 for 20% off of your entire purchase. Um, it is the number one privately held CBD company in the U.S. by market share. Uh, they've won a whole bunch of awards for all sorts of different products. Um, it's founded by pharmacists um, and everything that they do is formulated by pharmacists. They're people who know what they're doing. To show you that they know what they're doing, they actually put a QR code on all of their products so that you can pull up a link super easily that will take you to independent lab test results for that product. That's not something that you're going to get anywhere else. Uh, they have an abundant selection of oils, topicals, edibles, beverages, and so much more. So check out 
Green Roads because they make such great CBD products. And again, that's code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Booyah. Green Roads is um, fire. Check it out. For yeah, absolutely. Okay, guys, we've talked about those top fours. It's fun that we all have different, um, well, aside from Jake and Henry, uh, third backers, lay it on me five through wherever you want to stop because uh there there is a limit of like nfl talent in this group um how do you see it because here it really is like beauty in the eye of the beholder i don't love any of these guys but a lot of them have me intrigued and i'd have fun seeing them developed by fanjo potentially um so yeah whoever wants to start i uh i leave it to you I could even start. I've got a Jabril Cox up next. Same season. Yep. From LSU. As He's do really I. good. He's somebody who I was excited to watch all season. Um, after watching him quite a bit when he played at NDSU beforehand, multiple right. time national defensive player of the year makes yep. an instant impact with LSU. Um, in particular, he is a coverage specialist. Yes. If you, you can have all the questions in the world about him going downhill, playing the run game. I, 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 I like it. I, I'm, I feel good about it. And part of it is I've seen him just dominate at NDSU. And I'm trying to pull some of that out because just because somebody put up Derek Tuska level production in terms of sacks doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to being correct. So you have to kind of take a lot of what he's done with a grain of salt, but there's just too much good. And the fact that he's so good in coverage, particularly he can play man coverage against tight ends, even some receivers that are playing him in the slot man coverage against them. I think that he's he's what the NFL needs right now. Yeah, yep. Um, maybe an overcorrection on my side too, because I've missed on guys like Darius Leonard before. Um, and Jabril Cox is the same way. Like I, I low key hate his tape. Um, there's a lot of like, ugh, why'd you whiff on that? Or God, that was a terrible angle. And like you know, we talk about three down linebackers. Yeah, he's got you set on third down, but shoot, I worry about him getting exploited um, to bits on first and second down against the run. Um, just like that. That's yeah. what I was Not worried about. Yeah. 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 Just, I mean, I valued, I guess, toughness and ruggedness a bit more. Um, and that's the department from Jabril Cox that I wasn't very impressed by at all. Totally. I didn't think that he was very impactful in the run game. Um, I saw the versatility in coverage, so I get it. It's just, uh, I just, I'd really worry about him if you're in a five, six man box and he's just your mm -hmm. strong side backer or something. I just don't know if he's really going to be able to hang with the Quentin Nelsons. The guy's just mean and nasty coming up inside. That's my concern with him. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, like, that's why this might be the biggest gap to me in all of my rankings is the difference between what's in front of Jabril Cox and what's behind him. Cause a, a guy like Nick Bolton, yeah. Nick Bolton for the critiques that you can have, he's really good in the run game. He can hit hard. You have questions about the length, but I do think that like in zone coverage, maybe not that big of a gap between him and Cox as of today in man coverage, there's a big difference and that's a thing of its own. But I do think that there is a dividing line right here with guys who you expect to be good starting linebackers or it's a, it's a weird mix of that and guys who have enough upside that you will take a risk and guys where it's like, eh, there's a path to the field and maybe they can figure it out. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Justin. I, I mean, I, I had Cox in, in the same position yeah. here. He's who I went with next. Really, all of these guys, you could, you're splitting hairs when you're talking about order when it's like six through ten, in my opinion. But indeed, it's it's just a lot of those. You know, you're you're looking for flash, basically, like Surratt out of North Carolina, tremendous athlete, a guy that has seen the field from both perspectives, given that he used to be a quarterback. But yeah. you worry about his age. You know, he's he's coming out. He's an older dude. Is he going to translate quick enough to even justify like a third round pick on him? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure. One of the guys that kind of intrigued me, um, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to him this year, but just kind of looking at film was uh, Wallow at a TCU. Wasn't phenomenal at the at the Senior Bowl, to be honest, but he's a converted safety. He's a freak athlete, tremendous in coverage, um, good ball skills. The the thing is, it's just he's undersized, only 6'2", 230, and, and he's a little bit inexperienced. You know, you're, you're worried about is it going to translate? You know, we saw the flashes, but he's still basically learning how to play linebacker. Yeah. I, I, I just like a lot of these athletes that you can put in pass protection. That's what I valued or pass coverage. Excuse me. That's what I valued more than anything in this one. Um, yeah. Legrone, the dude out of Michigan. Dude. I think he's great against yep. run defense. I know his 2020 season was not great, but you go back and you look at some of those 2019 games and he was really impactful right off the bat. Again, though, only six foot one. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just really don't love any of these guys, to be honest. So my next guy, I had JOK at one. And for the same reason, this is why I had as my best, I guess, outside of the top six uh, guy was Baron Browning from Ohio State, because I thought crazy senior bowl. Yes, he had a really nice senior bowl. He has good size and was by far the most versatile backer of all those Ohio State backers. Um, he was kind of playing that JOK role. He would play to the field side. He could line up in the slot. You'd also see him rush off the edge too. So yep. that's why I had him uh, number one of the Ohio State backers, but just really high in this group for me. I agree with uh, McGrone. I actually didn't watch the TCU guy. Uh, was a bit lower on Cox. Surratt gives me some hesitancy also. Yeah. And maybe that's a time for that. Because I am I know there's a lot of people who are very in on Chaz Surratt. And I don't know. I think that artificially makes me feel like I, I am out on him just because everybody else is so in love with him. But the going against the grain. The yeah. truth is, like he wasn't all that good. And and I think that that point kind of gets overlooked. It's very easy to look at him and say, he has all these tools, he has a quarterback's brain. You can see that occasionally, but the pieces have not been put together yet, in my opinion. And and he needs to get good at coverage instead of just being somebody who you project at being good at coverage. And he needs to get yep. good against the run as well. And to me, because there has been so much Chaz Surratt love, which again, you, you hear former quarterback playing linebacker with those traits, I'm not going to blame you. And it could turn out that he is the best mm-hmm. linebacker in this class. I, I'm just not going to be the one who's willing to – use my pick on him somebody else is going to pay a lot more than i'd be willing to and you just you don't have the same freedom as you do with some of these other guys because he's a redshirt senior you know he's true you basically got two years to figure it out and at that point if it's not come together if he's not playing consistently for you it was a wasted pick and you're out of time Mm -hmm. well with Surratt, so i echo the same thing you guys have said four through 11 for me like barely any separation like minuscule 
um, we're splitting hairs. And yeah, Surat kind of falls smack in the middle of that group. And um, like half of this group, I really find myself wondering, what's the trait I'm pounding the table on for him? What's the trait that I linebacker coached in that draft room and saying, give me him because I know he can do X right now just the way we need it because you got to you got to build his whole game. And that's why Cox, at least I do have the pound the table trait. And sometimes at NDSU and at points in limited flashes at LSU, a terrible LSU defense. I saw some competitiveness to, to make physical tackles in space. So, you know, that's what I'm gambling on. Um, to me, the guy after Cox is Pete Warner, who, um, I thought was the most impressive Ohio state line. Certainly Browning stole the show in mobile. Um, I really wonder about you. He has to be used the right way. I think Warner, um, you read a scouting report, you, you look at him, he's a little lighter. Um, you wouldn't think he'd be the best uh, downhill linebacker in this class probably not named Micah Parsons or JOK but I think Pete Warner is and I think he's quite well sideline to sideline and there the hips are there in coverage is the foot speed I'm not certain <laughs> but this is where this challenge is really tough as much as I like Pete Warner as my sixth best linebacker there's a play against Nebraska sideline to sideline gets to the McCaffrey younger brother whiffs on the tackle. Cause he's just a split second late. And I swear to you, it's a white big 10 linebacker thing. I had a flashback of Christian doing that same thing to Josie jewel. And I, I had like cold sweats, like, man, how much better is this guy? Really? You know, like <laughs> we're at that point already where it's like, well, shoot, maybe he's not that much of an upgrade anyways. Um, Browning would have got there, but he might not have made the tackles the counter. Like, yeah, if he does get there, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't love either of them. It's the same argument we have for all of them. It's like you see a couple of things, and you're like, yeah, I could kind of see that it might translate. No. And then here's four reasons why I'm extremely skeptical <laughs> and would hate to be in this position as a GM. And, and you like, know what? the more I think about it, the more I like Nick Bolton. Just having gone through this whole process, dude just because he has all of the pieces to be able to say, you're, you're, you're a linebacker, go play linebacker. You're going to be just fine. Like it's not, and I, I kind of talked with Dre about this a little bit, a, a few, a couple weeks ago, where basically like JOK, Micah Parsons, a lot of these guys, you like them because they're chess pieces because on every player saying, okay, JOK, now you go in the slot. Now you go to safety. Now you go here. Now you go here. And, and you're just constantly doing different things. Meanwhile, a guy like Nick Bolton, I think that you can just say, you're the middle linebacker, go play middle linebacker. You're going to be right there when we go to nickel, just be right there. You may not be perfect. You may struggle in man coverage, but I do think like he has good speed for a linebacker. It's not a lot. And, and yeah. just to me, I'm getting sold having had this conversation on just the well-roundedness. And he certainly wouldn't be as much fun as Micah Parsons or JOK, but you the bus potential he's an upgrade on jewel that's he's for right. sure absolutely yeah I, bolton's so funny because he's one of the last guys i circled back around to watch so i'm picking these guys apart and bolton's just rising and rising and then i go back to bolton i hated it i was like really? 
I'm not sure this guy's even better than Monty Rice. Really? Um, yeah, I just have ceiling questions with Bolton. I just. Yeah. It's and you're, he's not going to be a liability. It's no, just he's not. What you know? How, what are you really getting here? Have we already seen right. the best out of Bolton? And I yes. think there's a good chance we have. Well, and I like like this linebacker class. There should be more guys that I can say bat out of hell, like heat seeking missile. There aren't that many guys in this class. It kind of sucks, Bolton. You can say that, but hey, it, my, not my like he never whiffs on a tackle or never takes a bad angle either. So even those parts of his game are a question. Now, if he runs yeah. like a four six five, I have concerns about his lateral mobility. I mean, forget about it. I, I, that's fair. I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that I think today he is better in coverage than uh, Josie is. And I think that you sub him in, you can look at that as an upgrade. And I think he can do everything else he can do. And that just, it, it gives me some comfort. The idea that you could trade down and just get Nick Bolton at 26 instead of playing with fire oh, and going with man. one of those other guys in the mid teens and potentially just having a bust on your hand. But I think we've found during this whole process that I've been pretty risk averse. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Any. <laughs> uh jamin davis from kentucky though just yeah he was very intriguing uh you know just kind of going through all these guys and just looking up quick cut-ups and stuff he i had trouble finding his film so i don't have as much on him as other mm -hmm. guys but i thought he was probably the best combination of size and speed from yep. a true linebacker standpoint and i definitely saw all the flashes that you saw andre i thought he was i I don't want to say bad out of hell, but his instincts exactly. definitely popped for me. Yep. Um, so that's something I didn't really, I don't know about the pass coverage yet. Again, I'll sure. hopefully find more film, Yeah. but it's just, I thought that if you're going to take a shot on a guy and you actually want to upgrade linebacker, this is the second round guy I would look at again, Monty Rice. If you don't have a guy that can kind of just yep. safely fill that role, that's who I would look at. But if you're kind of looking for someone to actually make a difference on your defense, Jamin Davis would be the guy I would look at, especially for the Broncos. He was a breath of fresh air for me because it was like, ah, this is what a linebacker should look like. Yes. He doesn't have like X hole in his game. That's just going to be so hard for me to get over. He like kind of checks off all the boxes. He's got a linebacker vibe instinct and just like flow to the ball wise. Um, so yeah, I'm, I like him a lot and like, like him too. it's a weird class once we get later in the rankings because I really like like Jordan Smith or Charles Snowden who are really more like outside linebackers. They're certainly not off ball three, four backers. Um, and then you have some super meat and potatoes, like first two down backers in like tough Borland or James Skalski from Clemson, um, Patty Fisher, who I swear is like, Patty Fisher's been on my radar more than my now three-year-old kid. Like, I, it's like I've known him half my life. Um, KJ Britt's getting some love. I rewatched the Auburn linebacker. Let me tell you, yuck. Uh, he does nothing for you on third down, and on the first two downs, I, I was appalled. Um, so he's a no for me, dog. And Tough Borland, if, if you like Nick Bolton, at the end of round one or beginning of round two, or you like Monty Rice at the end of round three, tough Borland, if you miss out on those guys, around round five might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But is he an upgrade on Josie Jewell? Nope. 
but then, is he a great is he a great backup for Josie Jewel? Yep. So I mean, there you go, man. Like it ain't flashy. I'm not trying to sell you anything special in this linebacker class because that just ain't it this year. Is, is he a better backup linebacker than Joe Jones is? <laughs> I, there might be a conversation. See, my thing like if the Broncos it's a worse special teamer. <laughs> if, if the Broncos draft somebody who there's even like a conversation, is he just a two down linebacker? I might, I might lose it because they do not need that. Like they have AJ, they have Josie. You have two guys who can right. tackle and can cover just enough to get by. And that isn't good enough. Like you got to get somebody who can cover if you're drafting a linebacker, in my opinion. Well, yeah. I think we saw that last year. They, they took Justin Sternod for a reason. It's very yes. unfortunate. We didn't see him on the field, but that's what they're looking for, right? They're looking for versatility, pass coverage, speed and athleticism and space. So that's why guys like uh, Jamin Davis, I'm intrigued by Baron Browning. I'm intrigued by uh, McGrown to a certain degree. Yep. Um, but those first two guys, especially just because I think that's the mold you're looking for. Even yeah. Surratt, you know, yeah. That as many holes as, as much as we're unsold, he's again, a guy I can kind of buy into because of what Jake. I like just. him a little better than I would have liked Sternod, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Before we wrap up here, tell me why I'm wrong for believing in Dylan Moses because none of you guys really talked about Yes, him. I wanted to touch on Dylan yeah. Moses. He's seventh for me. I do still believe in the upside. Um, the, the coverage concerns aren't even my thing with Dylan uh, because I, I like believe in the athleticism enough pre-injury. It's that this year he like kind of lost it downhill or sideline to sideline. Yep. Like he wasn't the same bat out of hell. He's everywhere. Um, just instinct maven. He just looked like a guy. Um, so shoot, if that part of his game isn't ticking up, then I really have some issues. But upside wise, it's why I kind of have him sandwiched in between, not too far off Chaz Surratt. You know, he he's a guy where you know, things things swing the right way. Yeah. I'm going to be pretty happy with Dylan Moses in the NFL, but I've got some real uh, questions as far as is there still a path for him to get there? You know? Yep. Tours ACL missed the season and then came back this year and did look like he had lost a step or something. And maybe that's just a part mm-hmm. of the recovery. Maybe it's gone, but that is exactly one. Yep. Knock. And, and I mean, he isn't great in coverage. He doesn't have like, incredible length like he isn't like a jok freak like there's there are some little right. things too but but he would be mm-hmm. a first round pick in my opinion if he if not for the injury and now it's like i don't know what i do and i think a lot about royce freeman which pro- maybe isn't fair but just having gone through that recently it does knock him down a little bit more because i'd rather just get somebody who doesn't have injury concerns again i'm risk averse um, again, the ACL, yeah, that's probably the big issue just because it, he did not look the same. He was not explosive. Um, it was a late ACL injury, though. I think it was August yes. that he yep. tore it. So, you know, he was just hitting the year mark, which exactly. when it comes to ACL recovery, it's always the year, year and a half mark until mm-hmm. you're finally starting to even feel back to normal, let alone perform back to normal. Uh, the instincts and sideline to sideline stuff, again, kind of goes in the same category. He just looked lost on the field to me at times, which was hard for me to to really accept just as a, you know, someone that's playing for Nick Saban uh, in a three down role. That was just tough for me. And 
Nick Saban had some comments throughout the year, you know, he's trying to do too much. Well, I was like, I don't see him doing much on the field at all. I don't know really where that's coming from. So I, I do have him low and I have, I gave him a fourth round grade, but of all the guys that we already talked about, he'd probably be top of the list of the person that I would be willing to take the risk on day three, uh, late day two, just because pre-injury, he was a different player. Top 20 overall for me in this class pre-injury. Yeah. Yeah. If you take him in the third round, I'm thrilled. If you take him in the second, I'm saying, eh, not the guy I would have taken there. And without the injury again, he's a first round pick to me. The timing of the injury definitely mattered. Um, I think we need to talk about also how the the recovery process was likely impacted pretty drastically by the pandemic. You didn't get those reps in spring ball. Then you come into a scenario where it's like, are we going to play a season? Are we not going to play a season? I I just, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt based on what we've seen throughout his career, based on what we saw in 2020. Again, he was not the same impact player he was last year. And I said that earlier. Yeah. He just wasn't this year. And, and that was disappointing because I'm a big fan of his, but I think, I think where he projects is, is very well. And again, I just think he's a good value pick because he's not going to go in the first round, very likely not even going to go in the second round. If you add him in the third round after, you know, getting somebody like fairly at cornerback or sudden, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I feel, you know, pretty dang good about where this defense is starting to trend. Yeah. And, and I think part of it has to do with how the rest of your draft goes. Like, like if you wind up taking guys who, with, let's not get into names. Guys who you know you trust to be good football players, and guys who you don't look at as just risks. You know, if if you don't go quarterback in the first round, then I think getting a guy like Moses who could bust and not kind of tank your draft class would be fine. It just at this point, most guys come back from ACL injuries, but he didn't look like himself. Yep. You got to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it is different projecting upside based on how a guy looked two years prior pre-injury than projecting upside because you see flashes and a guy checks the like size athleticism boxes, but hasn't quite put it all together. Fair or not. Um, Exactly. It just feels that it feels like a riskier upside to buy into. And it's a Um, totally different thought process. And when you're so busy thinking about all these other prospects, it's like there's this separate category of guys where it's like, oh, injury concerns. Oh, off the field concerns. Oh, weird things. And it's like bringing that stuff into the picture just makes things really complicated. But he's just history of Bama linebackers panning out over the last decade, though. Very true. That's why I think he's. The definition of good value. I mean, third, fourth round, if you can get Dylan Moses, there's a lot, lot worse that you could do in that range. Yeah, absolutely. If you get him in the third round, I'm going to be thrilled. And and I kind of feel that way about Jabril Cox, Pete Warner, Moses, McGrone, Surratt, even Bolton, Bolton Rice. I know that'd be really late for Bolton, but let's see how his pro day goes because maybe he does get you know caught up back with the pack or even baron browning all those guys you want to roll the dice with in that fourth round let's do it let's ride anything ahead of that might be a little rich and has to be one of those guys i'm a bit more convinced of with that high-end upside but the weird thing is the high-end upside guys kind of have that upside leaning them towards another position you know so it's a unique class, which made it really fun to get into and um, break down 
before we go out, I'm not going to give you much time at all to defend your picks, but top two best fits for what the Broncos are looking for as an off-ball linebacker in that, let's say, the Josie Jewell role, which really should be more that Roquan Smith, Patrick Willis role in this defense um, when we've seen Fancho at his best. If you had to rank the top two best fits in that very specific role for Denver, who would you go? Jake, start us off. One, I already said the most ideal fit in this class is Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and then Correct. two, Jamin Davis. I just think size, speed wise, that's yep. what you're looking for. Versatility wise, also, we agree completely, Jake. Uh, Justin, yeah, I'd go one, JOK. Um, I mean, I have Moses ranked as my third, so I guess. I view him better as Bolton. So I guess I'll say Moses just because I think he's a true upgrade at Mike linebacker, but Mo- I'll say Moses or Bolton. I know that's a cop out. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll allow it. I get to do a cop out too. Um, I've got JOK number one. Again, he's perfect. He's perfect. Um, yep. Minus the fact that he could just be terrible in the NFL outside of that. He's, he's perfect. Other than he might suck. <laughs> he can- Beating off as a lineman, getting the best. Sure, yeah, perfect. But uh, from there, it gets tough. And, and honestly, I'm considering Micah Parsons here just because of the upside. If it did pan out, if he did figure out how to cover somebody, he has all the tools, he has the length, yeah. he has that stuff. And and because of the ceiling that he has in that role, I think he's worth the consideration. I just can't. Give I guess him- that's I, that's I, a I, fair I, point. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm going to go Bolton just because he's the combination of good enough in that role and good at linebacker. Um, Yeah. Moses. Basically like one guy you love and one guy that we actually believe is a linebacker. Yeah. Parsons Parsons could wind up being the exact perfect player for that role though. You just have to project a little bit too much for me to say that he's the best fit for the Broncos. Fair enough. Henry, you want to touch on some pro days that are coming up this week? Yeah, real quick. We, uh, we've we hit pro day season, and so hopefully for uh, up until they're done, we'll be able to touch on just yes. any big news that comes out and maybe some more detailed stuff too. Um, Absolutely. To, there are no pro days today. Tomorrow you have Kansas State. You have Northwestern. That'll be a fun one. Patty Fisher we mentioned. Great uh, news. John Slater. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some other little ones. Quinn Miners, for example, Wisconsin Whitewater. Okay, cool. So that'll be fun. But uh, then Arkansas Wednesday, uh, Felipe Franks, you know, maybe sneaky quarterback Oof. pick. Um, mm-hmm. You got Rashawn uh, Boyd. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin Hakeem. also Wednesday. Hakeem Boyd. Hakeem, uh, thank you. Jesus. Cole Vout, Van Lanen, Isaiah Loudermilk, a couple of names there. Uh, Clemson, obviously Trevor Lawrence won't be participating, but that's Thursday. Uh, ETN, Amari yeah. Rogers, some guys we like there. Yeah. Um, Thursday also Carmen. is Texas with all sorts of Osai. players. Daniel Cosme, yep. Brennan e- Eagles, Sam Ellinger, um, Osai. Joseph Osai, Caden Stearns. That'll be one to watch. Um, that's also the North Dakota state pro day with Trey Lance and Dylan Ray Dunes. Another one that Very, that's a huge one. Days. Yeah. That Absolutely. might be the most intriguing of all of them that we've said so far. I think And so. then, uh, last pro day of the week is going to be also Friday, Oklahoma with, uh, Trey Brown, Adrian Ely, Creed Humphrey, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Ronnie, so Perkins. Ronnie Perkins. I think most of those get broadcast. So if you're looking for something yeah. to do during the day, check like the ESPN app and all that. 
and we'll recap some of those next time we talk. Yeah, that will be really fun to go over in segment one. I, I don't know if I can even handle that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, just one day after another pro day results really throwing you for a loop. That's going to be crazy. But uh, thank you all for riding with me. We will be back later in the week, as mentioned at the top of the show, double trouble this week. So uh, yeah, hit us up with some more questions. Thank you as always for uh listening in and uh we'll be justin at the buzzer make sure you check out dnvr madness we're ramping up our college yes, coverage yes, as yes. ncaa yep. tournament gets here we're gonna have a live show for selection sunday live shows each morning of the first round of the tournament gonna be a blast tune in my bad Dre. take us away take the sweet people home absolutely get geared up for some madness uh it's that time of year so enjoy it we were robbed of it last year we do not want to miss out again so thank you all fellas and we'll be back later in the week